Now we're going to read today from the scriptures. We're turning to the book of Colossians, and we're Colossians chapter 2, and I want to read from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Colossians chapter 2, we're reading from verse 18, let's hear the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Colossians 2, verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not beholding the head from which all the body by joints and bands of nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Amen. We'll end the reading there. And we pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning, we are returning to our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians. We've had a summer break of a number of months, and we're recommencing that series today. My text, therefore, is taken from Colossians at chapter 2 and in the verse 18. It reads as follows. Listen to the word of God. Colossians 2, 18, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he have not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now I've entitled this message, How to Recognize a False Teacher. Verse 18 stands out as a warning to the Colossian church about the spread of false doctrine and false teachers who teach it. See, remember the Apostle Paul is setting forth details to expose what we will call in an umbrella term the Colossian heresy. He knows that the Colossian heresy combines a strong Jewish element with a big emphasis on certain ascetic practices Listen to Colossians 2 and 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. You see, these false teachers emphasize the strict observance of certain days, certain diets, certain duties you must perform out of necessity, certain drinks that you must abstain from in order to be saved or in order to be sanctified or spiritual. And if you don't religiously observe uh, these um, 
certain ascetic practices, then you can't be saved. You're not saved. And of course, we learn, as we have thought about in the past, of being aware of and being beware of the sin of legalism. Legalism is an aggressive evil. It has to be strongly condemned. There's a legalistic gospel that's not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you must strongly resist the legalistic approach of any teacher to salvation or to any aspect of the Christian life. He says here, let no man act as your judge. You see, these false teachers set themselves up as judge. And they set themselves up as judge to pass judgment on you about salvation and about living out the Christian life. And remember, the heart of legalism is the horrible sin of pride. A legalist prides himself in keeping certain standards, doing certain things, and then judging others who do not keep them as as he keeps them. The legalist thinks that he is accepted by God for salvation or sanctification by his conformity to certain rules, rules that he picks, rules that he chooses. And yet all this external conformity is without a heart righteousness before God. It's without a saving relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's without true holiness. And you see, these new believers were under attack from these religious recruiters. And they're using the law of God. And Paul's argument is, but, but the law points us to Christ. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Listen to what he says in Colossians 2, 17. He, he tells us this, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. He wants them to be mindful that Christ fulfilled the law of God. We don't become Christians by keeping the Ten Commandments. We can't keep the Ten Commandments in and of ourselves by our own strength or power. The Ten Commandments show us how sinful we are. They they, they point us to Christ. And it's only in Him is the law of God being perfectly fulfilled and kept. Now we come to verse 18. And here's another part of this Colossian heresy. Not only the Jewish element, but the Gnostic element. Here he warns about those who portray a voluntary humility. They, they call out for angel worship in the church. They, they use a, a spirit of beguilement. He, he says they're vainly puffed up in their fleshly mind. When I read that verse, the first thought come was, how do we recognize a, a false teacher? I was thinking of their folly and thinking of their falsehood because I like a alliteration. So I was thinking of the folly and falsehood of the false teacher, but Brother Mark convinced me that a a simpler title would be just how to recognize a false teacher. And here's a question that needs to be answered. We must discover a way to recognize the false teacher in comparison to the faithful teacher of the Word of God. We have to recognize those who are true to Christ And the gospel, and those who are false in relation to Christ in the gospel, those that we can labor a false teacher. So that's what we're going to do this morning, how to recognize a false teacher. And I have three things I want to leave with you in the next 20 minutes. One, look carefully at what they're displaying. 
Look at our text. It says, let no man beguile you. We'll pause there. There are men who can beguile you. You see, the word beguile means to charm, lure, entice, use a a subtle alluring method to entrap you. The false teachers deliberately use charm to entice, lure certain believers to follow them and their teaching. Remember the Apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and in the verse 3, speaking of the Corinthian church, he says, But I fear, lest by any means is the serpent beguiled Eve. See, Apostle Paul believed in Eve as an historical person. He believed that the serpent That was the devil who beguiled her. But I fear lest by any means the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, Paul knows it's easy to be beguiled. It's easy to be charmed. It's easy to have your mind corrupted from the simplicity of the gospel. And you see, part of the danger of these false teachers in Corinth, Colossae, and of course in Duff and in our country today, lies in their attractiveness, lies in the skill of their speech. They use enticing words of man's wisdom. They're like the fisherman. They use the baited hook. If you watch their lives, this is what they display, a voluntary humility. They use the power of logic They say to individuals, you will lose your reward if you don't listen to me or you don't pay heed to what we're teaching. And not only was a voluntary humility attached to what they're displaying and and using the power of logic, but there was even worship attached to it. The worshiping of angels. Can you hear them say, do you not believe in angels? Are you saying, but you're better than the angels? Are the angels not closer to God than you are? You see, The way it's being explained, the way it's being put across, the way it's being discussed, it sounds so nice. It sounds so plausible. And we're well aware that there is a voluntary humility attached to the gospel. We're we're well aware of arguments about losing and using our power. We're, We're well aware of angels in the Bible. But you see, these false teachers use words and terms that all belong to the gospel. Yet their use of the words, their use of the expressions, it all sounds so good and orthodox, but it means an entirely different thing to them. And it's so dangerous. And you see, people today talk of God. When people talk to me and say, I believe in God, I I have to ask them, which God? Is it the living and the true God who is revealed in the Bible? When they talk of Jesus Christ, which Lord Jesus Christ is it? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible? When they talk about heaven and they talk about hell, we have to try and understand what they mean by the use of those terms. Even when they talk about the Bible, we have to ask them, well, well, which Bible is it? When they talk of a way to God, we have to ask them, is it the way that Jesus spoke of when he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, no man comes unto the Father but me. You can see the danger. Can you see the subtlety in all of this? So we've got to look at what they're displaying. Notice very quickly, They display a voluntary humility. Look at the text. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. 
They were displaying a spirit of lowliness, meekness. They, they were really saying, look how humble we are. Now, of course, I believe there's a real authentic spirit of meekness, humility, and lowliness connected to the new birth when one is truly converted. When the sinner is born again of the Holy Spirit and given a new heart, that heart becomes soft, it's broken. It's, it's, it's drawn to the Lord. It's graciously drawn to love the Lord and love Jesus Christ, his day, his word, and the things of God. There's a willingness to take the lowly place. There's the mindset, I am nothing and I have nothing and I can do nothing to recommend me to the Lord. Think of Job. Remember, he said, I am vile. Think of David, I'm a worm and no man. Remember the publican, Luke 18, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Paul asked the question when he was given a vision of Jesus Christ, Lord, who art thou? And he was told, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And what was his next question? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, the apostle Paul, the Damascus road at noon, was a sinner broken in the dust before God. He took the lowly place. He was in a state of abject spiritual poverty before God. And what I'm saying is this. There's a true voluntary humility in a work of divine grace in the soul. Nobody can be saved without being broken and laid low before the Lord in the dust with their pride smashed. But there is. And there can be the display of what we'll call a false kind of voluntary Humility. If you link up the words here, and worshipping of angels, the two go together. You see, this is what they were saying. God is away up in heaven, far from earth. And God is so holy, and God is so great, and God is so to be feared, and God is so high. He can't be approached by anyone. How dare you say you could come near God? You see, there's a false modesty. There's a false meekness. They're, they're saying, we can't approach this kind of God. It's impossible to draw near to him. But it was all a pretense. Because it was avoiding the great subject of redemption. The shed blood of Christ. It avoids the great doctrine of reconciliation to God. It denies the gospel. It denies the doctrine of the grace of God. Because God has come to us. It's not that we go to this high, great, holy God. This great, high, holy God has come to us. Galatians 4 and 4. But when the fullness of the time has come, what did God do? He sent forth his son. How? Made of a woman. Made under the law. To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoption of sons. King Ahaz asked for a sign. The apostle or Isaiah the prophet said, there's no sign going to be given but this sign. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, here's their argument. You're too sinful. And you're too small. And you're too insignificant to draw near to God. It's a false humility. It keeps people away from God. Yes, there's self-denial involved. Yes, there's self-abasement involved. But it's false. It's so plausible, but it's false. You see, true humility brings us face to face with God. 
in true repentance and true faith and true brokenness. Did the Lord not say to this man, I will look to him that is poor? Are you poor this morning? I am nothing, have nothing, can do nothing to recommend me to God. To this man will I look to him that is poor and who's contrite in spirit. Are you broken because of sin before God? And who trembleth at my word. God has spoken. God is speaking to me. You see, there's, even though it was a voluntary humility, they chose to do this themselves, but it wasn't real. You see, it's wrong to say God isn't interested in me. It's wrong to say God doesn't love me. It's wrong to say I can't come near to God because it reflects on who and what God is. Notice not only they displayed a voluntary humility, but notice also they displayed a vicious piety. If you look at the text, it says here, and worshipping of angels. This is what they said in Colossae. There are angels between us and God. Do you not know that the angels can help us? They can mediate for us. They can pray for us. See, God is so great, so high, so holy. We're so small, sinful, insignificant, so helpless. Yet between us and God, you've got these holy angels. Do you not believe in angels? They are angelic creatures. They live in heaven. They're created beings. They're celestial. They're exalted beings. They're sinless. They're smarter than us. And wait a minute, they're closer to God than us. And we can rely on them. They will help us. And that's what they were saying. They were going to ask the question, which somebody should have asked in the church at Colossae. Well, what about the Lord Jesus Christ? Does the Bible not say, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2 and 5? And here was their answer. Well, the Lord Jesus is just one of the angels. In fact, he's the highest angel. And through him, as well as the other mediators, we can come to God. You see, it's bizarre. I want to tell you, it's absolute madness. And if we probe them, we're saying to them, so you're teaching us that angels are a, are a part of us coming to God and being reconciled to God. We come to God through them. They entreat God for us. We, we can't come by ourselves. We can't talk to God directly. And then we have to tell them, but that's a lie. That's a falsehood. And how do we know? Because it contradicts the Bible. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's, it's a complete falsehood. And do you know that the Colossian heresy is alive and well? And do you know, listen to this, and this is from the Council of Trent's own teaching, not only Vatican I, the Vatican II, the holy ones, saints, angels, reigning with Christ, offer their prayers for men to God. It is good and profitable to invoke them and partake yourself of their prayers, aid and assistance for the purpose of obtaining merit through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, that's the official teaching of the Church of Rome. And when I read that, Vatican 1 and 2, I said, well, that's part of the old Colossian heresy. There's nothing new under the sun. You see, what is happening new 
or what we think is new, is actually something that's old and just been repackaged or, or put into a different envelope. Turn your Bible there to the book of Isaiah. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 6. Listen to these words. In the year that King Isaiah died, verse 1, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now notice these words in verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims, special type of angels. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, that's these seraphims among themselves, and said, what were they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now notice, young people, these angels had six wings. They're called seraphims. And with two wings they fly. With two wings they cover their feet and their body. And with two wings they covered their face. What strange behavior is this? You see, the angels cover themselves in the presence of God because they know that they can hardly bear to be in the presence of God. They are so unworthy, even though they're sinless celestial creatures, of being in the presence of God. Are the angels not subject to Christ? Do they not serve him and do his bidding? They do. But they don't act as mediators. They, 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 they don't act as um, intermediaries. They don't help him in his work of redemption. They, 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 they don't um, act with him in the work of reconciliation. Turn over there to Revelation. There's many scriptures we could give you, but Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. Listen to the apostle John. And I fell at his feet to worship him. You see, here's an angel's come from heaven to speak to John. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, notice these words, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You see, it's all wrong. It's dangerous it's a deadly teaching to include the worshipping of angels. So we've got to look carefully at what they're displaying. A voluntary humility and a vicious piety. Two, and be quick, we've got to listen carefully at what they're declaring. If you look at the text in Colossians 2, it says in um, this latter part of the middle of the verse, intruding into those things which you have not seen. Think of the word intruding. Think of an intruder breaking into your house. Right? That's the picture. Intruding into those things which you have not seen. Where does this voluntary humility and this worship of angels come from? What's it rooted in? Is it rooted in the Bible? No. It's rooted in his human reasoning. And the scripture says in Isaiah 8 and 20 to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. They have presumptively transgressed into this arena of Bible teaching. They have forgotten that these things are divinely revealed. 
in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, we read, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, what they're saying is rooted in their own human reasoning. It's coming out of their own mind. It's rooted in their own experience. It's a product of that. Whenever Cecil Andrews was here in Sabbath evening past, preaching about the evil of the progressive church, and we so much enjoyed his ministry, remember he told us that the creed of the progressive church, which is happening in Cape Fergus, and in Down, and in Balnehinch, and in other places throughout Northern Ireland, it's not based on the Bible. There's not a preacher in the pulpit saying the Bible says. This is what they're saying. It's based on their human reasoning. The stuff out of their own mind, their own thoughts. I think, I feel, I do. It's, it's rooted in human experience. It's, it's human tradition. And then lastly, they mentioned the Bible. But it's human reasoning, human experience, human tradition first. Intruding into those things which have not seen. The boldness of it. The cheek of it. I said to you, like an intruder breaking into your home. They're, 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 they're invading your space. Well, you wouldn't be too happy with an intruder coming into your home. Who are you and why are you here and what are you doing? You see, it's really rich of these men to claim they're Bible teachers. Because it hasn't been divinely revealed to them. That is the truth of God. They don't know what they're saying. They're really ignorant men. Men that are deceived. False men. Deceiving others. You see, remember, Peter was asked, Whom do men say that I am? And he answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 18. And then Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you. You haven't went to school. You weren't taught it by mommy or daddy. But, but my father, which is in heaven, he's revealed it to you. Because it's divinely revealed. It, it's shown because God has spoken. How do we know? Jesus is the son of God. The only savior of sinners. Because the Bible says. And I can give you chapter and verse. I can bring in other passages. I can bring together like a jigsaw a body of truth and present the picture of the personal work of Christ. See, God's word is light. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we should see human reasoning for what it is. And we should see that human reasoning as being sinful as we come before the Lord and we should clothe our mouths. And we should embrace only what God has revealed and what God has written in the scriptures. So suppose I use this illustration. Suppose I say I'm a doctor. I'm Dr. McLaughlin, right? I've come to your home and you're sick. Something wrong with you. Broken leg, broken arm, sore head, sore tooth or whatever. But I've got no training to be a doctor. I've got no qualification. I've just decided I'm going to call myself Dr. McLaughlin. And you're sick. Now, before I could see a patient, before I could prescribe any medicine, before I could perform any surgery, before I could adopt the course of treatment, you'd be saying, but how dare you? 
You've just called yourself a doctor. You're not a real doctor. You've got no qualifications. You've never went to training in medical school. How could you say you're a doctor? You see, I would be intruding into the realm of medicine. And people who have pretended to be doctors and nurses have ended up prosecuted um, because people have sadly died uh, because they have interfered and intruded into a field that they shouldn't have been in. Well, suppose I lift it up and say, well, I'm saying the same thing, but, but I'm a Bible teacher. And you know what? I've got this new teaching. And the church has just been waiting for me to come into Northern Ireland. And I've got this new light. And it's all so plausible. And people are so gullible and so foolish. They haven't thought, what is this man saying? What he's declaring. Let's listen to what he's declaring. Because he may not be qualified. He may not be verified. He's not under a Kirk session. He's, he's not a part of a sound local church. He's not coming in the Lord's name and saying the Bible says. He's a false teacher. But you know what? He's worse than the doctor. Because he's helping to ruin and damn souls. And one day he'll be found out at the day of judgment. But it'll be too late. Because he's presenting another Jesus by another spirit, by another gospel. But think of the poor souls that are sitting, listening. There's supposed to be 200 in down somewhere in a progressive church. There's many others in Fergus. And we in the free Presbyterian church, we're not saying we're perfect. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But I want to tell you, I want to stand on what the Bible says. And we need to test everything by the scriptures. And every new theory of men, whether it's a theory about the Sermon on the Mount or the Doctrine of Justification, heaven, hell, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, we need to be like the Bereans. Search the scriptures to see if these things. So Isaiah 8 and 22, the law and to the testimony, they speak not according to this word. It is because there's no light in them. And if it doesn't accord, young people, if it doesn't match up with the Bible, then reject it. And I want to tell you, young people, if you stand up in school or in the university, and you say, but the Bible says you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be mocked. You'll be despised. You'll be ostracized. You'll be like Jonathan. Go forth. You'll feel you're just alone and you'll be shut in to the Lord. But remember what Duncan Campbell said. If a man walks with God, he will ply a lonely furrow. These are arrogant men. They need to close their mouths. Don't listen to them. The third thing and the final thing is this. Learn carefully of what they're disclosing. You see, here's the true source of it all. Look, look again at the text. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. We'd ask this man, well, what's the way to God? Here's his answer. It's vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Their preaching is a product of his proud carnal thinking. And the Bible tells us there in the book of Romans, in uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, 8 and verse uh, 7, it says... Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You see, he wants others to see his voluntary humility. He wants others to see his proud spirit. And he is proud. And his professed humility is not what it seems. In, in actual fact, it is horrible pride. It's, it's rooted in pride. And that's true of every false teacher. That's true of the popes and the cardinals and the bishops and the clergy. 
That's true of every other false teacher in every cult. We have to reject this anti-Christian doctrine. Who is God? What is the right way to God? You see, the, the salvation of immortal souls is at stake. Not only a medical doctor or a car mechanic, but perishing souls. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if she'll gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And people are losing their souls because they're gullible. And because they have uh, foolishly embraced this new teaching. And their, their attitude is, I think I've been told, uh, must, he's so nice. The way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And if they present any other way, any other truth, then you have to reject it. It's not true. Also, very quickly as we finish, learn carefully at what they're disclosing, the way to glory. Look at our text that says, let no man beguile you of your reward. Right? You see, the true Christian has a reward. And what is a reward? It's a gift. It's different from wages. If you work, you earn wages. But a reward is a gift. It's a gracious gift. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, we read these words, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Think of the word inheritance. You see, when you inherit something, it's freely given. It's somebody has left you something in their will. It's freely bequeathed. They have made a decision. I'm going to give so much to, to this person or that person. Now, you don't pay for it. It's been gifted to you out of the kindness of their heart. And there it is in their last will and testament before they die. And you see, the Lord Jesus Christ has a reward for the Christian. There, there's benefits and blessings in this life and in the world to come. And, and the, there's many of them. And the false teacher was saying in Colossae to these Christians, if you don't look to me and you don't listen to what we're saying and you don't learn from us, then you're going to lose your reward. All the blessings you have now, you'll lose them. And the blessings in the world to come, you'll lose them. And the false teachers were corrupting the minds of the people. This is deadly serious stuff. The way to glory. If you don't listen, if you don't learn, if you don't look to us, you, you'll, you'll lose your reward. Now let me tell you this as we finish. Your reward is in Christ. And Christ bestows it because of his person and work. And that reward, of course, is multifaceted. The forgiveness of sins, peace with God, access to God, a full and free justification, adoption into God's family, the privilege of calling God as Father, the, the assurance that when you die, it's absent from the body and present with the Lord. And of course, Jesus coming back to resurrect uh, the body uh, and reunite body and soul and bring us together as one in his eternal kingdom. That's all part and parcel of Christ's reward. And they're saying to them, you'll lose your reward. So you need to listen carefully. You need to look at what they're displaying and learn from what they're disclosing. What is the right way to God? What is the way to glory? I say this as we finish. It's in Christ and in Christ alone. Christ is all you need. With Christ you have everything. Without Christ you have nothing. May the Lord take these few words as we uh, begin to open up again Colossians chapter 2. And hopefully, in not too distant future, we'll move into chapter 3, which I'm really excited about.